Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Let's, let's read together Jeremiah 29 from verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the Queen Mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisar, son of Shaphan, and to Gemaria, son of Hilakai, who Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Please welcome Luke. Thank you, Lockie. Good morning, everyone. It's a great day to be alive, isn't it? Much better than the alternative, right? Every day we have is a gift from God, and every moment we have is an opportunity to represent Him. And so I hope that we are inspired today by His Word and challenged by His Spirit to be more like Jesus by the time we leave this place uh, compared to when we arrived. And so today we are continuing in Jeremiah chapter 29. And if you have missed the last couple of weeks, as has been mentioned already, we're up to week three in Vision Month here at Follow. Every year we seek God for a theme for our church. And this year the theme he's given us is to bloom where we're planted. To bloom where we're planted. Essentially, we want to proactively see every space that God puts us in as an opportunity for mission. And I think that means that every morning of our lives should start with a real expectancy that God's going to use us today. This morning we met um, with all of our teams. We do it every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We do what we call a huddle. We finish it with our hands in and that corny kind of American Jesus, lift your hand. And I say it's corny, but I don't care. We do it anyway. But it's a great chance to bring our teams together and to set an expectation for the service. And so today as we gathered in, I talked about expectancy and I asked different people on the team what their expectancy was for today. Uh, if Jared's leading the worship team, what did he expect for worship this morning? To, to, is it to sort of just strum a guitar and stand there, or is it to lead people into the presence of God? Uh, if you're on that coffee machine, what's the expectancy? Is it just to fulfill my roster, or is it that as I serve coffee, it's going to be a way of connecting people and keeping people awake for Luke's sermon? 
If you're on the welcome team, what's the expectation today? Is it to come up and, oh, just, oh I'm on the running late, I do the job? Or is it that I'm going to be Jesus' hands and feet? And so as people walk in, I'm going to represent Christ in the way that they're loved and embraced. As you can see, expectation changes your experience. And so we should be people of great expectation every morning that God could use us today. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are ready to be on mission wherever God calls us. Every conversation, every connection, every workplace, every family, we have an opportunity to represent Jesus. And so that's the posture. I'm ready. I'm expectant. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. And I'm on lookout for what God is already doing and how I can join him in that work. Because a community won't be transformed if we wait for people to walk in the front doors of our church building. But it may be if the church walks out of a church building and into a community as the light of the world. And for some of us, that's a change of perspective. Tomorrow is not just another work week. It's not just another work day. It's not just my family. It's not just my friendship. It's not just my sporting club. Every moment of every day is an opportunity to represent Christ. And so in week one of Vision Month, we started a few weeks ago now, we started talking about intimacy with God. That was week one, um, coming back to our first love of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because fruitfulness, which is what we want to be as Christians, only happens when we're connected to God in relationship. Fruitfulness flows from intimacy. And so week one was all about our first love for God. Week two was coming back to our first love for place. And so last week we looked at Jeremiah 29 and the importance of blooming where we're planted, blessing where we're planted, and believing for where we're planted. And if you missed either of those, you can catch up with them on the website at follow.church, and I'd encourage you to do that so you're on board with the vision from the start of the year. Today in Vision Month, I want to talk about the power of vision. It's ironic, isn't it, in Vision Month? that we actually talk about the power of vision. And we are continuing in Jeremiah today. Last week we finished at chapter 29, verse 7. Today we're going to focus on verses 8 to 13. And so before we launch off, let's recap what was going on for God's people. You are very quiet this morning. It's like a whole bunch of people died in here, and I'm just standing up here by myself. Are you guys ready for this morning? Are you ready to bloom where you planted this year? Awesome. Let's go. Okay, so we're going to go to Jeremiah 29. And we're going to talk about what was going on for God's people. In Jeremiah 29, we have this guy called Jeremiah. He was a prophet. He was a man appointed by God to publicly declare God's word to his people. And in Jeremiah's early life, the people of God were living in Jerusalem. It was God's people in God's place, but they weren't living God's way. And so the prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and others, were sent by God to warn his people to repent and return to him or else there would be consequences. Now, the people heard the warnings, but they chose to completely ignore them, and so the prophecy came true. The Babylonian army came from the north, attacked Jerusalem three times, destroyed the city, and carried God's people out of the promised land up north into exile in Babylon. And so when we pick up the passage today in verse 8, we see that while they were in exile, there were a bunch of false prophets there with them who were prophesying lies and giving these newly exiled people false hope. And so we see in verse 8, it says, Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. 
The lies they were telling the exiles is that the return to Jerusalem was imminent. Don't stress about it, guys. Any day now, you're going to be returning back to Jerusalem. You're going to be back in your hometown, and God is going to restore you immediately. That was not what was going to happen. And so in verse 10, Jeremiah corrects that. He says, this is actually what the Lord God says. When 70 years are completed. In other words, you're not going home anytime soon. You're going to be here for the next 70 years. And when those 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come back to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Jeremiah's message is that they would be in exile for 70 years. And while they're there, we saw last week, God told them that they should settle down. They should increase in number, plant gardens, have kids, have grandkids, and pray for the peace and prosperity of that city Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now last week we talked about how difficult that would have been for these people. I want you to imagine you're one of the exiles this morning. You've been living in Jerusalem, your hometown, it's safe, it's secure, you've got people like you, it's a really comfortable place to be. And then this foreign army comes and they destroy your city, they wipe it out. They burn down your home. Some of your family members are killed. They take you by force and they move you up north to their land and now you're completely under their control. And God says in the midst of that, I want you to pray for the city you're now in because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I think that would have been a very, very difficult thing for those people to hear. How on earth could they live in the midst of these enemies for 70 years? It would have been an unbearable thought. And so what did they need to get through this? Well, what I think they needed, what I believe they needed, was vision. Which brings us back to why vision is so powerful, because vision is a picture of a preferred future. And so God presents a vision to these people in exile, in the midst of their darkness that is glorious, unexpected, and surprising beyond belief. And we all know the verse so well, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know... The plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And so today there are three things I want to say about vision that come from this passage that I hope will help us to have focus in our lives in 2020. Because this is one of the reasons we have Vision Month every single February. We come back to Vision Month because who knows, 12 months is a long time. right? And so in 12 months you'll have a lot of great things that have happened. Lots of milestones. If nothing else, all of you have had a birthday since this time last year. And you'll have in a year a whole bunch of encouraging stuff that kind of happens. But who knows, over a 12-month period, there's also a lot of difficult things we go through. And a lot of things that can easily wear us down. And when we get worn down, sometimes we forget why we do what we do. And so every February we come back and we seek God. God, what are you saying to us at the start of 2020? And as we get refreshed with fresh vision from God, we're inspired to keep going. Because the first thing I want to say about vision this morning is that vision keeps us going. Vision keeps us going. A few years ago, a number of years ago now, I did a 10K run, a fun run around Albert Park Lake. Now let me just clarify something before I continue that we all know is true except Lockie Pryor. There is no such thing as a fun run. That is the definition of an oxymoron. They do not belong in the same sentence, those two words, unless you're slightly crazy like Lockie. 
It's like me saying that I enjoyed a beautiful meal last night while I was being tortured. Or I had a fun night watching Lord of the Rings. I mean, those things just are impossible. I mean, the Martin family offered me the other week, can you believe this, an extended version of the Lord of the Rings, as if you could extend that movie any longer than it already is. It's so painful. Coming back to the run around Albert Park, people said to me at the time, it must have been so enjoyable because the scenery is so beautiful. And let me tell you, it's true. It is beautiful for the first three minutes. You jog along and you go, lake, duck, tree. And then the next three minutes, lake, duck, tree. And then the next three minutes, lake, duck. It's about nine minutes in, you think, am I on a treadmill? Am I being punk? Because it looks exactly the same. The scenery is the same the whole time. It's just duck, lake, and trees. That's all you see the whole time. And it, and it loses its glamour and its enjoyment within about the first three or four minutes. Albert Park is inferior to Lakeside Pakenham. We all know that because this is the promised land out here. We don't have big machines racing around our lake, spoiling the uh, ambience every year. And also, it's not as good to run around as our lake because at Albert Park, you don't know where the start and finish line are. And so it's frustrating that you're running and you just don't know if you're getting anywhere. At our lake, you can see the start and you can see the finish. And even though it might be painful, you always know where the finish line is. And so it's so much better jogging around our lake. So save yourself some petrol. Just go down to Lakeside at Pakenham. But I remember this particular fun run I ran around Albert Park Lake. I ran it in about 46 minutes, 10 k's in 46 minutes. If you're a runner, you're probably going to go, that's pretty average. If you're not a runner, you're going to go, that's amazing. And now that I'm 40, I reckon I could still run it in that time. I could still do it in that time if I was on my bike. But... <laughs> I can no longer run that quick, but you can imagine to run it in 46 minutes, for me, I was going pretty hard. And one thing I do remember about that race is that the organisers of the event promised that there would be a 1K marker every K you ran. So you get to a K, 2Ks, 3Ks. So I got to the first K, and there was the marker. It said 1K. And you see the 1K mark, and you think, yes, one down, nine to go. And so I kept running. That kept me, it gave me a bit of hope to keep running. And I kept running. Do you know who the next marker was? It was at six kilometres. That second K was the hardest K of my life. I remember thinking, I have never taken so long to run one kilometre. If I see the next sign and it says two Ks, I'm just going to quit on the spot. Well, thankfully, it says six Ks. And that little marker along the journeys, like Vision Month at our church, is a little marker that kept me going. But towards the end of the race, I was starting to hit the wall. And I was wondering... Uh, where on earth the finish line was, you can't see where it is, and whether I'd ever get there. And I'm labouring, you know. <sighs> I'm starting to drag my feet, and I'm thinking about giving up. And with all those painful thoughts in my mind and my body, I suddenly looked up, and about 400 metres in the distance, I saw a sign. It wasn't heaven, but it felt close. It just had one word in big letters. It said, finish. And let me tell you, something changed in me when I saw that sign. I got what runners call a second wind. I immediately felt the competitive nature kick back in, and I saw 50 people between me and the finish line. I thought, I'm going to beat every one of those people home, and I'm going to get higher in the rankings. And so I sprinted the last 400 metres all the way to the finish line. I passed them all. I'm like, yes, and I beat them, and it was wonderful, and that's what life's all about, winning. And so <laughs> I got to the finish line. Even though just a few minutes before, I thought I had nothing left in the tank. 
What gave me the ability to do that? Vision. Vision. I saw the finish line. I visualised the future with a rest, some fluid, a hot shower. And as I kept my eye on what was to come in the future, it enabled me to keep going in the present. That is the power of vision. For God's people in exile, the glorious God-given vision of verse 11 is exactly what they needed to persevere through 70 years of captivity. There was a promise to hold on to. There was a future to believe for. There was a hope in the darkness knowing that their temporary suffering would come to an end according to the promise of God. God had plans for them. He hadn't forgotten them. In fact, God had great plans. They were plans to prosper them and not to harm them. They were plans for a hope and for a future. Now, in many ways, I think the word vision and hope are almost interchangeable. Today, Tim presented to us on Kids Hope. And it's a wonderful program that we could potentially run in this local community. But I think it could just as easily be called Kids Vision because Kids Hope has a vision for what could happen in the lives of kids in our local community if they had a mentor for just one hour each week to regularly invest into their lives. We heard the story of Jai. There's many other Jais out there just waiting for someone to step in and say, yes, I can give an hour to sow into this kid's life. But it's not just the kids, it's the teachers and the staff and the school community, it's the parents and the families. One hour has a, week, a week has the potential to lead to transformation in families in our region. Because vision actually brings hope. And so vision is something that keeps us going. In Proverbs 29 verse 18, it says, Without vision the people perish. But for the exiles in Jeremiah's day, you could just as easily say without hope the people would have perished. If there was no vision for the future, there would be no hope for the people, and I think they would have just given up this foreign land as foreigners living in this new, strange and dangerous place. But with this glorious, God-given vision that promised hope for the future, they could keep going as they settled in Babylon. Now, I love what God says about Babylon. Because Babylon was like a superpower. It was like this massive kingdom. It was indestructible. They had a powerful army. And I can imagine these exiles as a minority in this powerful city looking at the city and thinking, there's no hope for us. This Babylon is so strong and so mighty and so indestructible that we're going to be under their oppression for the rest of our lives, forever. But I love what God says about this powerful kingdom. I mean, this kingdom is the one that we read about in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, where King Nebuchadnezzar, the king, says this. He says, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by the mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He was a very humble king. But this is the kind of kingdom they were facing. And for the exiles, they must have seen the might of this kingdom and thought, we're going to be stuck here forever. But God says to them, in 70 years, this Babylon that seems indestructible would be consigned to the pages of history. It would be no more. This is the fate of every human kingdom that sets itself up against the Almighty God. And for you and I, it's so important to know that because we can look at our culture today and think, man, in this secular, post-Christian, atheistic kind of world, it just seems so big and so powerful and, and God's kind of been pushed out of the center of our society and it, it just sort of seems hopeless. But just like those exiles, we can remember that our God is still on the throne. 
And just like he said to them, I know the plans I have for you, we can be confident that God has plans for us. This verse must have been an incredible hope when it was first read to those exiles at that time. But I want to say this morning, the hope we have in Christ is even greater. This passage in Jeremiah is one of the most commonly read and quoted parts of Scripture. And the reason for that is that it's wonderful. It's wonderful words of promise. We see it on greeting cards. We see it on Facebook posts. It's often listed as people's favourite verse. And I've heard many pious Christians over the years make comments like this. They say, oh, well, you know, you're reading it out of context because it's for a particular people at a particular time and it wasn't written to us in the first place. And, and you feel like saying, well, duh, you know, if you hadn't have mentioned it, we wouldn't have known that. Like, it's pretty obvious it's written to it. But what these religious people don't understand in their own self-righteousness is this, that so much of the Old Testament is a shadow of things to come and points to an even greater fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And so can we hold on to the promises of God given to these exiles? Yes, we can, but at an even greater level. Can we believe that we have a hope and a future, that God has plans for us to prosper us and not to harm us? Absolutely. But not a hope that's temporary, one that's eternal. These marvellous promises are pointing to a greater reality for you and I, the people of God today. Because Jeremiah, in this instance, is giving the exiles a vision for their future, but in Revelation chapter 21, we get a vision of ours. He talks about a new heaven and a new earth where God will dwell with us. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. It says there will be no more death. Death will die. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. There'll be no more mental illness. There'll be no more poverty. There'll be no more loneliness or stress because God says the old order of things will pass away. Church, I want to tell you this morning, that's our hope. That's our future. It's a future not to harm us. It's a future to prosper us. It's a future. It's a hope and a future that we have in the person of Christ. And so when things get tough and when things get dark in our own world today, when things seem so overwhelming, when they weigh us down and cause us to want to give up, we can look up. And we can look ahead with vision to the finish line, with unshakable confidence, holding on to the promises of God, knowing that's our future, guaranteed in Christ, and the Holy Spirit's been given to us as a down payment, guaranteeing that future. It's a wonderful hope to have. You see, vision keeps us going. Secondly, vision drives mission. Just this week, we recorded another episode on the As One Leadership podcast. This week's guest was Kimberly Smith. It's Tim's sister. We've got two Smiths in one week. You can't get enough Smiths, right? That's good. So Kimberly was on the podcast, and she uh, works at the BUV overseeing the young and emerging generations, and she's also a leading voice on the topic of singleness. And so I was talking to her about being single, and she's got her own story that you can hear when the podcast comes out. But one of the things she talked about that I found really helpful is she talked about the language of waiting. And she talked about, for her as a single person, how unhelpful that word waiting has been at different times. And she used the analogy of a doctor's surgery. When you go into the waiting room in a doctor's surgery, who enjoys that? <laughs> Nobody enjoys it, right? It feels like wasted time. And you wait for your allotted time to come up, and then another hour goes by, and you're still sitting there, and you're thinking about all the things you could be doing while you're waiting. 
right? And you are so bored and so desperate that out of desperation, you end up picking up that Woman's Day from 2004. <laughs> you know you've done it. We've all done it. You pick it up and you go, oh, there's nothing else to do, so I'll flip through the Woman's Day, all right? So it's just wasted time. And Kimberly was saying it's a little bit like that for, for single people. Uh, she's got so many single friends who've said, oh, I'm just waiting for the right person, and so I'm going to wait before I buy a house until I find the right person. Then I'm going to wait before I go on mission until I find the right person. I'm going to wait, wait, wait. Like it's, I can't do anything until I get to that point where Romeo and Juliet rocks up and sweeps me off my feet. And so much wasted time. And, you know, I thought about that this week, and I think sometimes it's like that for Christians. We give our life to Jesus, and it's almost like the golden ticket in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. You know, you, you get the ticket, you're excited, and you just sit and wait until the day where, you know, the heavenly chocolate factory opens up and you go in and you gorge yourself on chocolate. It's a little bit like that for Christians. They give their life to Jesus, and then they just wait, wait, wait until they die or Jesus returns. And the point Kimberly was making for singles, and I'm making for us as Christians, is that we should do less waiting and more living while we wait. We've got things that God wants us to do as we wait for Jesus to return. If we're really gripped by a vision of heaven from Revelation 21, we won't sit around waiting. We'll get on with living, and not just any living, but living on mission because a heavenly vision drives earthly mission. Because surely if that's what heaven is going to be like, we want all of our friends. We want all of our family. We want everyone in our local community to experience that glorious hope that we have. Vision drives mission. Last week we explored this briefly at the end of the message. And I said if we're going to impact this community, we need to change our mindset from being victims to visionaries. Stop whinging about all the things we've lost and our rights are going and whatever and get on with having a vision for what it could look like in this community if we live for Jesus. Because victims dwell on the way things are, but visionaries see the way things could be. And in this way, vision for a preferred future can drive mission in our lives in a profound way. And I believe for those in Babylon, this glorious vision they received from God, this life-changing promise enabled them to live as a light in that city. This week I was challenged on what I shared last week. It's always good to be challenged on what you share from the pulpit. Uh, went to a preaching class this week. I do that every six weeks or so. And I do it with four other pastors. It's led by an experienced and outstanding preacher called Mike Rader. And basically what happens is that we all preach a message that we're about to preach or we've just preached and the four other pastors listen and Mike listens. And at the end of it, he gives you feedback on what was helpful and what you could do better, and then he goes around the room and all the other pastors give their thoughts. I tell you, it's more nerve-wracking than preaching in a church because your peers are now judging your preaching. But it's a great thing to learn how to become a better preacher. It's good feedback and good coaching. And so, Mike, I, I didn't have this week's message ready to go, so I preached last week's message to the group. And Mike said at the end he found it inspiring and encouraging, but he pushed back on my point on mission. Because I said last week that the people in exile would have increased and spread as God told them to over that 70-year period. And as they did, they would have impacted the community through engaging with the Babylonians. Now, I still think that's likely, but Mike made the point it's equally as likely that the Jewish exiles would have formed an all-Jewish enclave within Babylon where their mission was shaped not by engaging with people but by living a different way rather than engaging with their community. The point being this, that, that they would live in their community a certain way and all the Babylonians would look at them over a period of time and they would see something different about them that would attract them to these people and want, want them to know or cause them to want to know what their God was like. 
and why they were so different. There was this curiosity that would have happened as they lived as a light in their community. And I think it was a good observation because Israel in the Old Testament was always called to be holy, to be set apart from the world, to be a light to the nations, like a city up on a hill that's glowing, that everyone looks at and goes, wow, there's something attractive about that city. And Mike's point was that I could have taken that opportunity to show that the mission we have as Christians today is even greater than the mission the uh, the Israelites would have had in Babylon because we're not called to withdraw from our community. We're called to engage with people in our world. And so here I am taking that opportunity. We have a greater mission than the exiles had in Babylon to engage with people and to represent Jesus. Because even if mission wasn't a big priority for the exiles, it should be for us. Because the God-given vision they had to return to Jerusalem probably didn't include a desire to take any Babylonians with them. But as we focus on the vision of heaven we have and the hell alternative that exists, then surely heaven is a place we want all of our friends to be in, all of our family, all of our local community. We want them to experience heaven with us. So this week I've been thinking about Mike's words ever since and what it means for mission for us today. And as I thought it through, I was reminded of Jesus' words. He says that we are to be the light of the world, but we're to be salt and light. So we're called to be people like the Israelites who are holy and set apart as a city on a hill, light of the world. We should be like a bug zapper that attracts people to us because they see something radically different about the way we live, and, and that's still true. But at the same time, we're called to be salt. Salt is something that is spread all through and all over a meal to make it better. This is the tension of being in the world but not of the world. I think we're not of the world, but we are salt in the world to represent the kingdom. And as we do, this world should be a better place. Now, at the danger of getting deep theologically this morning, let me take you to KFC chips. (laughs) These chips have the potential to be the very best chips in the world. Or they can be close to the very worst chips in the world, and it all hinges on one ingredient. What is it? It's the salt. Without the salt, you take the salt off those chips and they are fat, soggy clumps of potato. But if it's got that special herbs and spices salt on it, it's a food straight from heaven itself. (laughs) The salt changes the chip. Jesus says, you are the salt of the world. Let that sink in for a minute. You are the salt of Officer. You're the salt of Pakenham. You're the salt of Berwick. You're the salt in the southeast of Melbourne. But in the same sentence, he says, but if salt loses its saltiness, it's worthless. So you and I are called to be salty pieces of salt everywhere we go, making this world a better place as we represent the light of the kingdom of God. And so I come back to the question that we're asking this whole series Where has God planted you? Because maybe that toxic workplace you're in and you're thinking that you need to leave might just be the KFC chip without the salt. Maybe that workplace, all it needs is for you not to leave, but for you to be the salt of the world in that place. Maybe in that family that you avoid at all costs because it's dysfunctional and frustrating, is crying out for someone to be so different in that space that it's like salt that makes that family better. Maybe that friendship circle where nobody talks about Jesus, thinks about Jesus, believes in Jesus, just needs a little shake of salt. 
And as we are captivated by a vision of heaven, it bursts an urgency in our hearts for us to love people in a way that they would see the kingdom of God and come to know Jesus as their Lord. You know, there's an old saying that says that a person can be so heavenly minded that, that they are of no earthly use. Well, I actually think the opposite is true. The more we're reminded of heaven, the more useful we become here on earth. Because vision drives mission. Finally this morning, vision lifts our eyes back to God. I said before, in week one of this series, we talked about intimacy with God being the number one priority of our lives at the start of a new year because fruitfulness flows from intimacy. And so vision for the future, it actually causes us to rely on God because with him all things are possible, but apart from him we can do nothing. For the exiles in Babylon, the vision they received from God was as outrageous as it was wonderful. And while they would have received it with great joy, they must have wondered how on earth would it come to pass in the light of the might of Babylon. They were such a small minority in a dangerous and dominant city. And for the vision to come to pass, they would need to fully rely on God because they couldn't make it happen. It was impossible. It called for a complete return to their first love for him. In verse 12, it says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me. And find me when you seek me with all your heart. What a wonderful promise that is. Wonderful promise. So powerful. You know, last week in our Bible in one year readings, we were going through Exodus and there was a passage that stood out to me that's relevant in this particular moment. It was another time when God's people were subjects in a foreign land. This time they were slaves in Egypt. And God had appeared to Moses and this is what he said. And I really love this. He says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. i tell you why I was so encouraged by this passage. Because it reminds me that we have a God, but when we pray, he sees us, He hears us and he's concerned about what we're going through. And not only is he concerned, but he does something about it according to his will. So I have come down to rescue them. It's a really powerful thing to be reminded of, that he answers our prayers. And as the exiles called on him, prayed to him, he promised to listen. And he says when they seek him, they will find him when they seek him with all their heart. But he also shows that his vehicle for mission often comes in the shape of a person. See that there? I am sending you. I've come down. Now I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Just as he sent Jeremiah and he sent Moses to lead change in their world, he's sending you and he's sending me to lead change in ours. And so if vision keeps us going, if it drives us to mission, if it lifts our eyes to God, the question I want to leave you with this morning is what vision do you have for the places God has planted you in this year? I have a vision this year at Follow that this will be the most fruitful year we've had yet. 
that our impact in this community is going to grow, that Jesus' name can be lifted high over this region, that people in your family and in my family and in our friendship circles can come to know Jesus for the first time this year as God uses us to be light and salt in their lives. I have a vision that each of us this morning can go deeper in our faith in 2020, but for that vision to happen, we've got to be completely reliant on God, and it will only happen if we come back to our first love for him. As we do that, I think he'll stoke the flames of our heart so that we'll come back to our first love for this place where he's planted us. Next weekend, our new associate pastor, Adam, is going to finish our Vision Month series. But as I've finished my part today, I want to encourage you, each of you, to seek God for a vision for the places he's planted you. To take some time this week, this is where you go from being a hearer of the word to being a doer of the word. To to unplug this week, to find some quiet time and to write down the vision God gives you as you pray and seek him for the places you're planted. Whether it is your family or your friendship circle, your footy club or your dance club, your caravan club or your play group. Lord, what do you want me to do this year? Lord, what How can I bloom where I'm planted in 2020? And whatever it is, ask God to give you a kingdom vision of transformation for that place. And then commit every day to praying into those spaces, believing with expectation that we have a God who sees, hears, and answers our prayers in miraculous ways. And this year together, we will see what God can do in our midst and in our community for his glory. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Dear Lord, we're captivated by your word. We're challenged by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we have a vision for this community that your good news would spread throughout this community like a good virus. That people would hear about you, that they would come to an understanding that they need you as their Lord and Saviour, and that they would give their lives to you. We have a vision to see needs met, to see hearts changed, to see people transformed from the inside out. But Lord, today we acknowledge that with all of that that we visualise, it's impossible without you. But with you, all things are possible. And so today, we're expectant, we're excited, we're believing that you would use us, not just our church in a corporate setting, but each of us in the places you've planted us, not by accident, but deliberately, that we would bloom where we're planted this year for the glory of God, to see your name lifted high over this region, higher than it's ever been before. We pray for every other church in this region as well that it would be the same for them as we combine together as Christians, that we would be fruitful and multiply to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in the powerful, the life-changing name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. If you're in the southeast area of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us at our Sunday morning service. All the details can be found on our website at follow.church or you can find us on social media at Follow Baptist Church.